Hey, everybody, welcome into episode number 80 of the Curtain Call Podcast, a production of the Yes Network. He is Yes Network VP of Programming, John J. Filippelli. He has a new hip as well. Uh, I'm Justin Shackle, producer Dan Bassone, along for the ride as well. John, how you feeling? Um, how, how's your how's your new hip doing? You know, it's I'm, I'm really glad I did. David Cohen had the same procedure uh, in July, and uh, I, I thought it was an issue, whatever it was, and had an MRI. They said, you have, you know, bad arthritis in your hip. You should really think about replacing it. So I said, replacing the arthritis of the hip. They said, no, no, replace the hip. So I said, okay. So I uh, decided it would be a good thing to do. I went and I had it done. They told me when the procedure was over that uh, it was actually worse than they thought. The MRI didn't really reveal the full the totality of all the arthritis that was there. Arthritis leads to inflammation, which leads to pain. So I was in really kind of a bad way. But now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing much better. And, um, you know, another few weeks, probably in another week or two, I should be actually in physical therapy. And then, you know, it should be a couple of weeks and I should be around and it should be, you know, it should be good because it was very, very painful. And it's one of those things you kind of go through in life. We all go through stuff in life. And this was one of them, but I'm really glad I had it done. And those of you who are out there and have hip, hip problems and issues, mm-hmm. you get it done. It's a, it can be a game changer. So that's my advice to you is uh, go change the game. So so we'll have you running for a mile for time by the new year, give or take, right? Yes, I'll be training for a 1K race before you know it. Okay, perfect. Um, hey, you, you you got it done. It's behind. It's in the rearview mirror now, just in time for the postseason too. So it's a very busy month for everybody. You as well. Postseason's underway. We are set for the division series matchups. We have the Yankees, the Guardians coming up, Astros and Mariners and over the National League, Braves and Phillies, Dodgers and the Padres. We're going to look at those series. We're going to preview the uh, the Yankees postseason at length. We're also going to touch on uh, Aaron Judge hit number 62. That happened since the last time we met, so we'll put a bow on that. But uh, before we do all this, I'd be remiss here if I did not ask you about uh, the big weekend that the Yes Network had at the New York Emmy Awards racking up more hardware and there's some interesting winners because it's not just hey best uh best best game broadcast or you know best producer best director you you were able to take home some one-off categories which i don't think too many people are aware even exist and correct me if i'm wrong if i'm missing anything the one that stands out to me in 2021, final day of the year, the Yankees clinch a postseason berth on the final day of the regular season. The game broadcast there took home a New York Emmy. What else took home an Emmy in, in those one-off categories? Uh, the Field of Dreams game, although we, the game we did not have the game, but we did a pre- and post-game show specials around the game and our and our pre-game uh, coverage won uh, or set up to the Field of Dreams game. Uh, Meredith has did a wonderful job on it, and Blake Sharon and Blake Sharon and and, uh, and uh, Meredith did such a wonderful job on it, and uh, they they uh, so the, they went for that, which uh, deservedly so, and uh, that was fun. And uh, you know, the last day of the season, our coverage of that was uh, it was a great race, and like like going on between the Yankees and the Rays, and you know, updates from around baseball and stuff. So we that was a one-off. I mean, meaning just a one. It was special. But mm-hmm. one game, and uh, but we won for that game, and we won for uh, the Field of Dreams game, and Ian Eagle won for like a seventh or eighth year in a row. We won best play by play, and you know, and so they should just retire the awards, <laughs> the play by play award, just because it's called the Ian Eagle Award. Yeah, one, I think one more year they then they renamed the award. 
think that's how it works. I think that's how it works. So it's, I put my money on him. He's, he's unbelievable. But I mean, we had some, that's a great category too. I mean, Michael Kay's in that category. Ryan Rucco was in that category. You know, Mike Green from, from, uh, from uh, MSG is in that category, you know. Uh, so they've got some really very talented people. Gary Cohn is usually in that category when he's nominated, he's in that category. So, you know, they, they've, that's, that's a really, really very, you know, my Doc Emmerich has been in that category. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough category. The play by play is tough, but uh, any which way. But it was nice. Uh, it was it was it wasn't a bad weekend for us. It was good. It's and it's just so many. I mean, it's it's so hard. There's so many nominees. There's so many. That's what I don't like about it. Is it just takes so long. It started at seven o'clock and it ended after midnight. So you could say it started on one day and ended on another. You know, we started with dinner and we were ready to have breakfast. I mean, that, that, what was going on there? But uh, I, I didn't get a chance to go. I watched the stream of it because of, because of my hip situation. I wasn't able to go. But you know, it was. It, look, it's a it's a long, long fight, and it's it's kind of fun. And if you're if you're outside the business, I think you find it fascinating. If you're in the business, you see, you uh, you can find it. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can address this, but, <laughs> but I would just say that it's a, it's an interesting night, and you know, it's a. Hey, it's always nice to win, and if you don't win, it's nice to be nominated. If you're not nominated, well, you got something to shoot for. Go get nominated. So, for those listening, John didn't tell me to ask him this. Like, I took it upon myself to ask about this because I, as a you know, I kind of, I guess I'm like a TV nerd. I found it interesting that there are these one-off categories, and I thought they really uh, say something a lot about the the company, the network, because you're able to take home these one-off events. They only happen once. You have to nail it, right? And uh, and and you did. So I think that it was really cool that you you're able to receive some recognition for that at the New York Emmys. Um, something that didn't receive uh, recognition uh, since the last time we've met here. Something that happened in between our two episodes. Aaron Judge cracking out home run number sixty two. It finally happens, and it did happen on the Yes Network local broadcast. Um, the 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 place that was there for many of his home runs here in 2022. Let's put a bow on Aaron Judge's chase for home run number 62. Overall, your thoughts on how that broadcast went in the uh, penultimate day of the regular season. Uh, I think what you have to do, if, if you look at it in the in the, in the in the in the macro, look at it in the aggregate. We had 60, we had 61, and we had 62. So, you know, we are we are a regional sports network, but I've always said we're a regional sports network in name only. That's all. That's the only way we're a regional sports network. I will put up our people and our coverage against anybody who does baseball any place, anywhere, anytime, any network, you know, whether it be Fox, whether it be ESPN, whether it be Turner, you know, uh, any of the other the local RSNs, any of them. And we're not going to come out to second place to anybody. And, you know, we, we do it. We do it well. We've done it for a really long time and we have great people who live this. This is their passion. This is their purpose. Um, no one knows the Yankees like we know the Yankees. Not to say we haven't made mistakes or we can't make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And especially, but what you really want to do in situations like this, if you can, is you want to do your best work when the lights are the brightest, the stage is the biggest. The lights were the brightest and the stage was the biggest. And yes, the Yes Network came up huge. We didn't miss a thing. We had everything covered. Um, even when we went on the road for 62 and working on the road is very different than working at home. You know, you don't have the home crowd behind you. You're using some in cases, different technicians and tech crew people than you use when you're at home. And, you know, you've got the comfort of that and the same, the continuity of that. But then, and we also were working in a ballpark. We were supposed to start the season in Texas, but because of the lockout, we didn't. So this was, these were makeup games from the beginning of the season. There was only one trip in 
So this was our first trip into Texas. So we were going to covering judges, you know, attempted to, to break the record in the first time we've ever done a, ball, a game in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that that matters, it matters. It's like never, you know, ne- never working on a. You don't know the, the nuances, the nooks and the crannies. You don't know all the, the the things that you know that you know when you go into Fenway Park, or you know when you go into, you know, you go into the, you know, the, you know, the race play. You the, the, the down in Florida, you go you know, any place that you go, you, you know the ten. Yeah, that crazy that house of horrors down there. You you learn, but you you know, but you know the parks, and we didn't, you know, we didn't know this park, but still in all, having said everything, from from sixty to sixty one to sixty two. Every emotion was captured. Every angle of coverage that you could have, we had. Every emotion you could have, every reaction shot, you know, everything that we did was what it should be. And I would not change a frame of this. So that's how proud I am of our people and what they did and how we covered it. I mean, but but I will tell you, by the end, by the, by the time 62 got hit, I mean, we were starting to feel like, I think we were starting to feel a little bit like Judge was feeling. Let's get it over with because it had gone on long enough. And I don't know how many at bats. I made a joke to somebody, and it was like, "Oh my god!" I, I made this joke, and I I said, "Because uh, we were doing cut-ins from around the country, everybody. Those of you who are joining us from around the country, this is Aaron Judge, and he's going tempting the home run to sixty, number sixty-one, number sixty-two for the record, whatever it happened to be." And so, I mean, how many cut-ins did we do? And it took a long time for him to, to get to those home runs. And I said, "If you would, if you didn't really know this story, and it kept cutting in, it's it's it was, is this guy any good? I mean, how many how many times did we ever did it all run? It was like so, you know, I don't know what people." expectations were but but no, but Aaron Judge that was truly a remarkable achievement I've been watching sports and I mean for I mean I'm, I'm in my 70s I've been watching sports since I was literally three years old two years old I mean that my dad owned a bar across from Evans Field so I was reared in the game and around baseball and it's particularly and I grew from baseball I grew to love other sports and get into other sports but but baseball has always been my passion and I've known it since I was a little kid and uh and you know and I understood a lot at a very early age and to to see what I saw, and I've witnessed all the great players that have been privileged enough to see in my lifetime, and to see this accomplishment, I, I don't think anybody's ever had. And I mean it. That Mickey Mantle his triple crown year was phenomenal, but the pitchers weren't as as dominant as they are now. I mean, every staff has got two and three guys that throw 100 miles an hour. I mean, it's a different mile than the game now. So it's to say that what he did was remarkable and as as great a season as I've ever seen anybody ever had. I think it's true. I have a lot of respect for Otani. I think what he's done is quite remarkable as well. In any other year, he should be the MVP, but not in this year. Not just because I think that singular accomplishment by Judge to me is 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 stronger than the the, the offense that Otani had. He had a great offensive year, but not nearly as strong as Judge. And the pitching, which is phenomenal, makes him Otani. I mean, there's no getting around that. That's a phenomenal performance. But you look at the MVP, and I just want to address this for one second. You look at the MVP. It means V means valuable. So the Angels did did they finish poorly with or without him? And as great as he is, the Angels didn't go anywhere. The Yankees needed Judge to be to get to where they got to win that division. He becomes, by definition, the most valuable, and by his accomplishment on the field, that singular purpose of his that singular contribution on the field was just as remarkable as it gets. So I I think he's the most valuable player. I don't even think it's a discussion. I think what he did was phenomenal, and I'm very very privileged and honored that he did it on our air. You know, part of what makes sports fun is the debates that you can have. And if you want to have the debates about this, you know, we accept them. Like I just said, it's part of what makes all of this really fun. And whether it's the MVP discussion or which performance in which era was more impressive, every era has its elements that makes that makes it 
it's era. And some of the stuff that you were talking about with this era with Judge, velocity, the frequency of pitching changes, everything being measured in the age of information, that makes this stand out for Aaron Judge. And here he is pulling off a terrific home run chase. Again, job well done uh, by him, by the S Network for capturing it. And as you were as you were discussing all this, John, I kept thinking, because now we're in the postseason, like how does this late season chase for something so great by Aaron Judge, how does this affect him as we enter the postseason, as the Yankees get ready to go for game one of the division series uh, coming up on Tuesday night, the day we release in this podcast? How, because it's so close together, the end of the regular season and the start of the division series and the type of pressure that he was facing going as many at-bats as he did without a home run, how does all that potentially affect Aaron Judge for better or worse as we hit the postseason? I I, I think that he was pressing by the end of this. I don't think there's any doubt that he was pressing. I mean, he wanted to hit the home runs. He wanted to hit it, especially hit it in front of the hometown fans. If it could have him at the stadium, I think that meant a great deal to him and his family. Uh, I know, I mean, I know, I know him personally, obviously, and I know his family. I mean, I've, I've done specials with them over the years, uh, and, and all access shows that we've done on, on the S Network. So I've had a chance to meet him and get to know his family. And, and you know, I, I mean, I, I like him. I have a great deal of respect for him and his family. Um, and uh, I could tell you, I mean, I know it was affecting him. It, it was, it was, it was absolutely. I mean, how could how could you not be affected by it? It's it's probably the most famous record in sports, the individual record in sports. I mean, we we could sit here and we could debate, you know, who actually has the record. There's the major league record, which is you know held by Barry Bonds at seventy three, and then you know you had McGuire at seventy, you had Sosa at sixty six, and you know those were all high great numbers and whatever. But I mean, there's obviously this controversy attached to the names and the process, and were they were they were they you know did they have help in achieving those those numbers? There's obviously a, a great deal of controversy and debate, and there's a, you know the, there's not a universal feeling that that those numbers are those numbers. Okay, but there is no there. This doesn't seem to be any doubt that Aaron Judge's numbers were Aaron Judge's numbers. If that's the case. Then you know, breaking Maris's record is truly the record. So it depends on what you want. I mean, it, it, that's the thing about sports and about the record is that it's whatever you want it to be. If you want it to be the, the, the what Barry Bonds accomplished, then that's your record. You want it to be what Aaron Judge accomplished, then then that's the record. And I think there's you know there's legitimate thought, I guess, to you know any way you want to go. It's really up to you to interpret how you want to interpret this or how you want to look at it. But I mean, I, I thought for me personally, growing up, and I mean, I got to know Roger Maris at the very end of his life, and I was in, the, I was in, the, it was, in the, I was during the '80s, and I was working at NBC, and I, I was, so I was working on the NBC Game of the Week, which I worked on for many years, and I, I got a chance to know him toward the end of his life a little bit, and uh, it was, he was like my hero growing up, so that meant a lot to me to watch him grow, when I see that home run when I was ten years old. To work be on the game of the week and to actually get to know him just tangentially. He wasn't on the game of the week, but I got to meet him through the game of the week. And so that meant something to me. And then to I was the producer at Fox when you know everybody was challenging Maris's record back in 98, you know, with, with, with McGuire and Sosa and all that, that whole summer of him, which was pretty incredible at the time. And now what what just transpired with the judge. So I mean that all the, the game is connected tissue. I always say it's about connected, and it really is connected. That there's connected tissue, but in a personal way for me. So it, it all ran together, it was all connected, and it is quite it, it is quite an honor, quite an achievement. But having said that, 
he was feeling the pressure. I don't have any doubt he was feeling the pressure. And I think once it happened, he was greatly relieved. I mean, he even wanted to play the next day because that's the kind of guy the last game of the season. It didn't really mean anything, anything at all, but he wanted to play. And and, and rightfully so, Boone says, no, there's no, there's no, you need to take, take the day. We, you got to get your, we got to get you in as good, ready for this to, in the postseason. The windows let him rest a little bit. He didn't need to play. There was no sense in him playing. And, and, um, because he got what he needed to get. He got the Yankees achieved what they wanted to achieve. Well, if the Yankees were playing for the division, win the division, I'm sure he would have played, but they weren't. So give him a rest. It's what he needed. And, uh, you know, everybody needs it's, it's not just the physical rest, it's a long season. It's the mental rest, particularly, I think, if you went through what he went through in this case, you, you need a little bit of a rest. So I think uh, it was it was probably a great decision to decide not to play him the next day and to let him rest and let him get his head together. We'll we'll get onto the uh, the Yankees Guardians in just a moment. Not to get too off track, but you you mentioned how much you you admired Roger Maris growing up. I was, I was kind of curious who were your favorite players growing up, or who was that one? Who was the one dude? Roger, who was the one guy. Roger Maris. Oh, okay. He was I? Uh, I you know I I, I this wasn't that I didn't like Mickey Mantle, but everybody every kid in my neighborhood kind of was Mickey Mantle. Who you grew up with my here in New York, you grew up in the fifties, sixties, and it was Mickey Mantle. So it was. And, you know, uh, and it was like hero worship. It was Mickey Mantle. And I do something about Roger Maris. I just sort of liked it. I, I, uh, you know, he wasn't in the limelight. He was shy. He, he just wanted to go play. And, uh, I love the way he played the game. I love his approach. It wasn't like I didn't like Mickey. I just, but I love Roger. And, you know, again, I said, everybody took seven. So I took nine, you know, and I still use nine on a lot of numbers that I use. Don't, don't try to steal my passwords now, but I, but I still, but I still use nine on a lot of things because I, uh, uh, he meant that much to me. Uh, Roger Maris did, and I, uh, I'm glad I've had a chance to meet him a few times uh, in my uh, career. Uh, as well, obviously, he was before he passed, but and um, you know, I got a chance to know the family a little bit. I met them in the late '90s. I didn't get a chance to meet them this time through because uh, I was, to, you know, I was uh, you know, trying to get through some health issues that I've been facing and. Uh, you know, it just wasn't in the cards for me to see them again. But I'm I'm happy I got to meet them a couple of times that I did, and I uh, I'm really happy for that. And I think if Roger could have somebody break the record, say, you know, it would be Aaron Judge. He would try, he'd say, you know what, I'm okay with that. I'm sure he would say I'm okay with that. He was I mean, you know what he said to just Sal, um, the, the, the who broke the who got his caught his home run ball. Mm-hmm. He said to him, uh, he said, uh, uh, the, we want to give him the ball, and he said, no, no, sell the ball, you kid, you know. You know, you go get put, put, buy yourself a house or get, get, get put yourself to a school. I mean, that's the kind of guy that uh, that Roger was. You know, say that. So, I remember just over time, like guys like Billy Crystal and stuff. They were talking about how kids who admired Mickey Mantle, they would like, you know, they would copy his his trot around the bases with that hobble, that gimp. Did you, uh, other yeah. than take number nine, out of respect for Roger Maris, did you do anything to? To uh, or did you do anything out of admiration for Roger? Did you get you know the crew cut like Roger had? Did you? No, and I didn't try to hit left-handed either because I could. <laughs> you know, I uh, no, I just you know, I just, I just you know, I just liked the way he went about his business. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just it was quiet. He didn't call attention to himself, and you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not necessarily quiet, and I'm just like don't always not call attention to myself. So I guess I didn't learn any of those lessons from him. I just respected him so much as a player. And, you know, um, you know, the throw that he made in game, people forget all about, you know, game seven of the 62 series against the Giants. I would remember is the line drive that McCovey hit off Ralph Terry that Bobby Richardson caught for the last out, but there was a play in that game 
But Roger got the ball and fielded a ball in the outfield. And Karen cleanly threw a strike and it kept kept the the game from being tied. The 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 tying run from scoring and, and it was his throw that kept them there. Maris had a cannon for an arm, one of the great arms of the game. There were a lot of great. You know, in those days, you know, you had to, you know you had Clemente right, and you had to, Maris, and you had Rocky Calavito and Al Kaline, and all those guys had great arms. But uh, but Maris had, had an arm second to none. So he was he played the game hard. He played it right. You know, he didn't want to. Uh, he, they kept telling him about records and asterisks and everything else, and he didn't care. He just he actually wanted the season over with. He didn't, didn't want anybody's record. He just wanted to play the game and do the best that he could. And I, uh, you know, that that's where I learned from him. Is like you know, it was like you know what, you give it all you got and you hope that it's good enough. And if it falls a little short, it's all that you had. Well, then you gave everything you had. Nobody could fault you if you it's the best you've got. There's little, but you got to do the best that you can. And he, every day he went out there, even when he got older and he was banged up and he wasn't the same player anymore. Every time he went on that field, he gave it all he had. And I, there was no doubt in my mind, because you could see how hard he played. He had a lot of injuries, especially at the end of his career. But he, you know, he, he, he never shortchanged anybody. And that's, that's, that's a great player, son of a great player. Mm-hmm. I had nothing but utmost respect for him because of that. All right, let's turn our focus to the postseason here. American League Division Series, Yankees and Guardians. Game one happening at Yankee Stadium coming up on Tuesday night, the day of this podcast's release. Hard to believe. First home game in the Bronx in the postseason for the Yankees in three years, just given the way everything worked out in the world. But here we are, first home game in October in three years. A couple of notes as it pertains to the roster, and some of this stuff is probably going to be released before or after you hear this podcast in terms of a, a roster, but we're not into talking about who makes the roster, doesn't make the roster. It's a little boring in my eyes, um, but like how, how certain players will be utilized in game situations. But a few notes before we get into this discussion, Aaron Boone said on Monday that they're probably going with 12 pitchers for the division series roster. He also said that John Carlos Stanton can be an outfield option later in the postseason. So not necessarily here in the division series. Jamison Tyone's going to be in the bullpen. We know they're going to go with a three-man rotation. And DJ LeMayo, at the time of this recording, according to Aaron Boone, said they still don't know whether he's going to be on the division series roster. So what we're going to be talking about, let's let's assume that DJ LeMayo is going to be on it. Those are some nuggets about potential roster situations. One thing we did find out is that Aroldis Chapman will not be on the division series roster. And I don't think he's going to be on a Yankee roster moving forward. I think his days are over with as a New York Yankee is set to hit free agency after this season. We found that out over the weekend, missed a throwing session at the stadium, was told to stay away. He was fined as well. John, from a perspective of bullpen quality only as it pertains to the postseason is a Roldis Chapman not being on the ALDS roster a big deal in your eyes not the way he's been performing up until uh, I mean I if you go in on performance and you, I don't know you have to go on performance I mean yes I guess there's mitigating circumstances here now and I don't know what those mitigating circumstances are they haven't been released as to why exactly the Yankees are saying that the, his excuse was not acceptable for missing for missing practice? Um, and again, I don't know what it is, so I can't really comment on that. But I can say this: he's not nearly as effective a player, and I, and I think that's pretty obvious to anybody who's watched the uh, Yankee baseball. That uh, he's since mid-season, he hasn't been the same player. Now, whether that's been injury, 
or you know it's been in, in some in some cases confidence believe it or not especially an athletes can be very fragile you lose your confidence and you know all of a sudden you you know you start to question what you're pitching how you're doing it how you know uh, you start missing your strike zone you say well I, i'm i'm not i'm not commanding this so maybe i'll try this pitch you start experimenting and all of a sudden the thing that got you to where you got you've, you've abandoned and by abandoning it you're not the same player there's a lot of things that i'm sure went on here um but um He's not been the same player. I mean, and and the idea that you uh, that you thought that he could recapture it during the playoffs, well, that's a real roll of the dice because right up until the Yankees have tried it, I mean, they tried it up until you know the the very last day of the season, they tried to give him opportunities to sort of even you put him in spots where he come in to to, pitch, to try pitch a clean inning and just to see what he did. See here, try to get three outs, see how you do, see how the ball moves, see what velocity you have, see especially high fastball command, because obviously when you throw a hundred and change miles an hour, which he does, and uh, you know, used to throw 104, three, whatever, you know, that's that's a weapon. But but it doesn't seem like there was much movement on his pitches and the velocity was down and he couldn't the most important thing is he couldn't locate. You can't locate, you walk people and you also have a tendency to miss the strike zone and then you then you're then then bats have a tendency to hit balls, you know, when you're not locating. So he wasn't locating, the velocity was down. You know, I think he was having a confidence issue, it seemed like there were just a lot of things that just weren't right for him. And I think and I don't think the Yankees, you know, they did, winning 99 games this year and coming as far as they did. I don't think they can gamble on there. I think they're better off in a situation where they've got, you know, well, they, they've all they've got some other situations going on in that bullpen that they need to address, too. I think that's why putting some of the starters in the bullpen I mean, to keep me is, is a smart thing because they, they, they may not they're not going to give you nine innings. That's not what they do. But they can come in and give you an inning. They can come in and give you two innings and their starters and their stretcher like their own. You might come in and give you three depending on what you want to do. So you've got that. You've got Schmidt. You've got I'm not making a roster for them, but I'm just saying, and then we'll see what happens with Holmes. You know, so they've got this, there, there is probability and possibility there. They also have very strong starting pitching with the three starters that we know they're going to use. And we know that they can go, that they can go deep into games. And, and, you know, and that will help them. The shortfall that has been the Yankee bullpen of late, I think will be, can be compensated for by length of starters, but, but but they've got to give you length. And that was one of the benefits, you know, of, of, of shutting down Nestor for, for a little bit was, you know, it was, you know, I don't know, I don't know how his arm was, it was just bothering him, but was really, really, you know, really hurt. I mean, it's as hurt as it could have been, or the, the people were led to believe that something was just to give him a rest. You know, so it didn't, I think he was feeling his a lot of innings had pitched that many in his career. He was catching up to him. I didn't want to give him a rest because they would they were looking at October. And that's where smart teams look at that. A lot of teams, when you make like the trading deadline, you look at October. You're, you're in a situation with starting pitching where your innings are starting to pile up and you know you can't pitch guys, you don't want to blow their arms out. So you you start to take little breaks, take them out in the fifth inning of a game, skip a start here and there. So they have less innings on their arm and they're fresher for October. That's a lot of the strategy that goes on here. But the Yankees against Severino coming back the way he did and has come back. I mean, he's he's got a fresh arm. Severino looks great. I mean, he couldn't be peaking at a better time. You know, he looks great from what so far since he's come back. Don't ask me about that clock. Don't ask me about that clock. What's that clock, John? For Tell me about the, the clock. For whom the bell tolls. So, uh, Ernest Dunning, anyway. uh, but uh, no, that's a ship's clock, and I have a ship's clock in my office here. And uh, just it rings at the top of the hour, the bottom, it gives you multiple times, depending on what, what hour it is and whatever, and whatever. I don't know. But I didn't fun. think Ernest Hemingway was going to make a curtain call cameo. Here we are. Okay. 
Well, you never know. See, that's the beauty of listening to this. You never <laughs> know exactly what's going to come out of anybody's mouth. So, but and that's the fun of it, I suppose. And uh, any which way. So we we had uh, we had uh, phonus inter we had uh, clockus interruptus. Yeah. Here. So uh, let's uh, let's move backwards there. So uh, forward or wherever we're moving. Well, I, I think. I think the Yankees are looking really smart right now when it comes to how they handled certain pitchers during the regular season. And I know it's apples and oranges, different types of pitchers, but look at, look at what happened with the Mets over the weekend in the wild card round. Max Scherzer looked a little compromised if given for whatever reason, he was coming off an, an injury leading into the postseason, didn't look as crisp. And when you compare it to, the way that they handled a guy like Luis Severino down the stretch, he is going to be fresh. And they did that. They were able to make that move because of the large division lead. Yeah, it shrunk down to around three and a half games. Ultimately, they win it, though. And now you have a pitcher, a really dangerous pitcher, with as fresh of an arm as any person in this entire postseason. So the Yankees are looking really smart for moves like that. As far as the role as Chapman goes, I do think it's addition by subtraction, not even counting like the behavior and the professionalism, just in terms of pure uh, stuff from a bullpen perspective. There are two reasons why I think he's a big contrast to the current Yankee bullpen right now. One of them is because this is a bullpen that has identified themselves as pitching to contact this season. They've been largely successful. Big reason why is because not because they're uh, missing bats completely. It's because teams are making poor contact on certain the on these certain pitches and the defense is obviously being relied upon. Aroldis Chapman is a pitcher that throws to miss bats. Hasn't been able to do that as effectively compared to years past. And the other part, the other reason is that if you take a look at this landscape of the bullpen, there are really no assigned roles. You mentioned the starting pitchers are going to be serving big roles in the bullpen, but overall a lot of these relievers, a lot of these pitchers, they're going to be looked upon as outgetters in the postseason, not necessarily an eighth inning guy or a ninth inning guy. Aroldis Chapman could be, a, I mean, I don't want to call him a relic of the past, but he he could be kind of lost in transition here where you have a guy so conditioned to pitch a certain role in a certain time of the ballgame instead of an opponent at a certain time of the ballgame. I think he kind of lost his way and and the bullpen kind of ran past him a little bit in terms of how it is all mapped out. So those are two big reasons why I just don't think he's a, a, a good fit for this Yankee bullpen heading into the postseason. So it, it kind of That's is addition good. by subtraction in that regard. Um, good That's a good observation. Thank you. Strong observation. Appreciate that. Uh, you have the Cleveland Guardians. In my opinion, a more dangerous team than the Tampa Bay Rays. If you were wanted to get sentimental and had your pick on who you know you you wouldn't want to face the Yankees uh, before Wild Card Weekend, I think a lot of fans said, "Oh, I don't want the Rays." You know, the Rays look dangerous. Well, no, if you if you were paying attention, Cleveland's a really good team, AL Central notwithstanding. Cleveland can pitch. They play defense. They're young. I think they use that to their advantage. How would you assess this matchup here in the division series? Um, a lot of people, I, I think people make a mistake. Well, it's not just in this matchup, it's in any matchup. You have to play the games that are at hand. And I think if you start to get past some of these matchups and say, well, you know, all that people were talking about, no one talked about the, the Mets in San Diego. They talked about the Mets and the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. 
and how you know the Mets would have their would be tough for the Mets because they'd have to expend so much of their starting pitching to 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 dispatch the Padres and and then they would be at a disadvantage because they wouldn't be at, when they set up their rotation the right way to, to face the Dodgers and blah blah blah. Well, you know, I'm not saying that. The, I mean, I know Buck Showalter very well, very well. He's I, he's a friend of mine and he's he's one of the great managers in the game. He's not going to allow you to look past teams. I mean, that's not his style, his way. And if he thought that was the case, he'd, he'd make sure in a hurry that uh, you didn't look past uh, the, the, the furthest you look was today's game. But I think that there's a tendency, a lot of some players have a tendency to look past these things and to say, well, ultimately, we got to do this and this and this. And I think that can, that can look at the teams that won. Look at the first round matchups. If you're going to tell me that those teams, that the, some of those teams weren't looking past, the teams that lost weren't looking past to the next round, I got to tell you, I don't, I think some of them were. And but having said that, I think you need you need you need. This is about pitching and it's about defense. Yeah, you have to get timely hitting. I mean, it's about everything. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the game is the game. But in a postseason, it's historically and it's always been like this. You get the best teams playing in October. The best teams have the best pitchers. Pitchers and defense win games. Pitchers stop great pitching. Always seems to stop good hitting. It usually does. Not in all cases, but in, in you know, I don't know, 80% of the cases, 75% of the cases, really great starting pitching will stop really great hitting. It just does. And so you've got elite pitching in these playoffs. Anything is possible. There's short series. Anything is possible. Short series, elite pitching means who knows the outcome. But but I still like, obviously, I think the Guardians are a very good thing. I think they're underrated in some respects because you don't know a lot of their players. I mean, the Yankee fans don't get a chance to see the Indians very much. They're not in their division. Guardians. They're the Guardians this year. Yeah, you're right. I know. I know. I called them the I, – I shouldn't uh, – I'm sorry. They're the Guardians, the Guardians, the Guardians. I'm going to find myself now. I find myself – you know, we have a kangaroo court, uh, and then I'll, I'll find myself, and I apologize. Right, so the Guardians, they're a very good young team. Uh, they were, you know, no one really were talking about them and the, coming out of spring training very much. It seemed to be the twins, the twins, and you know, the twins had this and the twins had that, and, and twins were good. I mean, the twins. Uh, it's not a great division, to be honest with you, but the Indians played, especially toward the end of the season, really played, kicked it into a gear. Um, I think that's young players maturing. I think their starting pitching is really strong. I think they've got some really good position players, and I think they have Terry Francona. Was one of the best managers in the game. You couldn't have managed as long as he's managed with the distinction in which he's managed and with the respect that he garners around baseball, unless you weren't, you knew what you were doing. And he's the right guy to get a team. This team is not a, a team that's deep on experience, but they're a team that's that's deep on youth and all the great things that come from youth, particularly as it relates obviously to baseball. And he knows how to deal with a young team and he knows how to, he knows when to sort of get them to kick into a higher gear and he knows when he decides to hit the brake. Those would hit the accelerator. He knows when they hit the brake. Those are very important things for any manager to know. He knows his team. He knows how to manage them. And he knows how to get the best out of them. I like the I like the Guardians, Guardians, the Guardians, the Guardians. I like the Guardians. Liberty, 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 Liberty. <laughs> the Guardians, Guardians, Guardians. There's an echo on this podcast. There is, there is, there is, there is, there is. Many Moda, Moda, Moda. I uh, I do like uh, them. But I, but I think the Yankees are deeper. They have more experience, and I think, uh, and I think the Yankees just have more, more. They just have more. Do- the Yankees can have have dominance. I don't think the Guardians have uh, the could dominate, uh, but I do think the Yankees can. So, you know, do I think the Yankees win this series? I do think the Yankees win the series, but I do think that the the Yankees will have a 
you know, it won't be uh, it won't be a given to uh, with the Guardians. I think the Guardians have a lot of talent, like I said, and I think uh, I think their pitching will keep them in it, keep the games close. John, you know where I predicted the Guardians to finish at the beginning of the season? No, last, last not- in their division. Wow. Yeah. So here they are. I think they had sixteen players make their big league debuts this season. So they're baseball's youngest team. They're in the playoffs. It's the first time since 1986 that a team, uh, that the youngest team in baseball, made the postseason. And uh, and here they are. Where, is is the are the lights going to be too bright for this young squad? I think that that will be the X factor here because they could play with like reckless abandon, right? Yeah, but see, but that's the Francona. That's the Francona yeah. factor. I mean, he's he's the with this. You know, he won't let them. Uh, I, I don't think. Look, how about how about the pressure of being in first place? Mm-hmm. How about the pressure of everybody thinks you you're a last place team and you know you're not last place team. You have a chance to win your division. They mean that that wasn't a cakewalk. They had to sort of they went back and forth with the you know to toward to the end, and then you know, and then they put a little distance. But the truth of the matter is that you know they were finding their way. You're right; they were finding their sea legs. It's exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They should be the Mariners finding their sea legs, and you can use that. You know, it's a very good, you know, metaphor. But I guess all that up. We're going to talk about them in a few moments yes. here. No, I'm, not, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the Guardians. U A R D and Guardians. So, um, yes. So again, like I think the talent is, but but see, but that's also. I mean, that's you know, uh, there's something to be said though for for players who maybe you're right about the big lights and the big the bright lights in the big stage. We've talked about that. You're, that that's definitely a factor. But there, there are occasions sometimes when, when you know, ignorance is bliss. When you haven't been through that, you just say, "Oh well, you know, let's go out and play. Let's have a good time. Let's be, let's play loose. Let's do whatever." I think that team plays loose, mm-hmm. and I think that's a testament to Francona, who you know keeps them at even keel. I keep mentioning him because you know he's the name that I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows and knows he's been around baseball forever. He's a part of baseball royalty. His father was a, was a great baseball man too, and you know, so he he knows the game. He knows what to do. Um, I think that they made very good deals there in terms of building that building that team back up. They, obviously, their farm system is turning people out, so they've got they've got a system in place. It's working now, and now that but now they're not a surprise. Now you're in October, and nobody's a surprise. Maybe you know in May and June and July, and everybody's could be a surprise, but not in October. Everybody knows everybody now. Just a matter of execution, and you know, there's something to be said for executing in a way that's we we are, you know, we are loose and the pressure doesn't affect you, or you can go the other way. But I have a hard time believing that teams. You don't see that many teams choke in October because they've been through. It takes something to get to October. If you have what it takes to get October, you know, usually you don't you don't fritter it away. You know, usually you have the you have the, the the baseball wares to to be able to to compete and, and to and to hopefully excel. One more before we move on from from this series. We mentioned that Lemayhu, at the moment we're recording, isn't a shoe in to be on this division series roster. Looks like Matt Carpenter is going to be on it after missing the last two months with a foot it. fracture here. He'll how would how would you use Matt Carpenter and DJ Lemayhu? in this division series if both players are on it? Well, you know, they both give you, again, you know, it's a matter of there's health and then there's health. You know, there's, I don't know, I don't know what, the, look, if they're healthy enough to be on the roster, the Yankees are not going to put them on with the, the idea that, well, you put them on the roster, you know, and maybe they're healthy enough because 
If you put them on the roster and they're not healthy enough and they get hurt again, then they're finished. If if you were able to move on, you don't want that. Um, you want to be able to. The, the, these series are too important. Obviously, you know, you win or you go home in October. So the Yankees need to win. So I don't know that they're going to sit here and, and and you know take you know calculated gambles as to well maybe they can contribute maybe they can't. If they can contribute and the Yankees feel that they can really play, they'll be on the roster. If they feel that there's some reason, then they'll hold them out. There's no there's no the Yankees have enough depth that they're coming off that bench now that they're they they're not especially given that. I don't know how the, Cabrera looks like he'll be in left field would be my guess, right? I would tend to think that's where they'll go. I mean, what he has given this team the last few weeks, and he started off slowly. I mean, not 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 catching the ball, running on bases, but he started off offensively. He started off slowly. But now he's starting to figure out out a little bit. He's starting to learn the pitchers, and he's starting to gain more confidence. He's become a real X factor. You know, so I really like what they get out of him, you know, and uh, I think that's important. Judges got to get protected. The Yankees have to protect, whether it's Rizzo, you know, or Stanton, or you know, as you get past the, you know, the, his spot, you've got to be able to protect him in the batting order because the one thing you can't have happen is nobody hits other than Judge, and then they start pitching around Judge because you could see it when they didn't want to give up. No, when teams were were looking at the record, nobody really wanted to go in the record books, haven't give up the home run. You could see they were expanding how they were pitching to him, and they were hoping that he would chase. Some cases when he was pressing, he did chase. But in other cases, he's not going to press. Even in a playoff, he's too disciplined to hit it now. He's not trying to hit the ball. He's going to hit. He's trying to hit the right pitch, which he could do because he's such a disciplined hitter. He will do that in the postseason as opposed to toward the end of the season when it was about hitting home runs. Because the Yankees had clinched the East, it didn't matter. It's about him hitting home runs and trying to get that record. So he was expanding, taking the swing at pitches he normally wouldn't swing at. And you see all those sliders that were in the middle of the plate breaking to the outside. I mean, they were doing that purposely to try to get him to chase at those things. So he's too disciplined. He'll take his walks if need be and hope that the pass to the baton, the people behind him can get it done. Well, they can't get it done until they get it done. So, I mean, I love Rizzo in a big spot. He doesn't hit for average, but he's a really clutch hitter. He's a really good clutch hitter, and he's proven it time and time again. He loves standing behind him. These guys have to hit. You know, the Torres have started to hit this uh, last few weeks of the season. I think that's a big thing for the Yankees. The Yankees need, you know, obviously need more than than than, than judge offensively to win this. And then, then the way people have been coming around, you tend to think that they, they'll be able to do it. But, you know, again, I always talk about getting help from unexpected places. Somewhere in there, somebody you're not really counting on to, to be a large offensive force needs to be that. Somebody you're not counting on in that bullpen, maybe a starter you threw in the bullpen mm-hmm. to be, Help short the book, but it's going to come up big. Somebody's got to do those things because the areas that the Yankees need help in consistency in that offense in that lineup, the bullpen, which is was such a strength of that team, and then that was turned out to be you know lost. They've lost a lot of people to injury and things, and losing King was a big was a big blow. Uh, whatever happened to Chapman was was a blow. You know, uh, Holmes uh, had his issues at the end of the season, injury, whatever. Those are all blows to bullpen, major blows. Britain not being able to make it back, blow to the bullpen. I mean, we could do this all day. And it's not that they haven't found some replacements, but you know what? We'll have to see how these replacements fare when the lights are the brightest, right? And this and the stage is the biggest. We'll see. Um, so there's a lot of there are some question marks here, but there's also a lot of strengths here. So overall, you gotta like where the Yankees are, but you gotta also look at you know what what those guys can give you off the bench. And and, and I think if healthy, those guys can give you a lot off the bench. I mean, Carpenter in that ballpark with that bat. I mean, how do you how do you not 
<coughs> excuse me, how do you not uh, be circumspect on how to pitch him or LeMayu given his track record? I mean, those are veteran bats who come up big in, in big spots. Those are big players to have on your bench, especially on your bench. And if you need them, by the way, in the spot start, spot start in the playoffs, is there such a thing, I suppose? I mean, you got them. So maybe one of them hits a pitcher better than others, and they decide he's the guy you want in the lineup that day. You get great flexibility, and you get great bench strength. It doesn't get better than that. It's incredibly hard to pinch hit. Uh, I Aaron Boone made that point earlier this season. Like Odds are you're going to come up empty when you're summoned off the bench, cold, watching the game the entire time, then asked to step in and provide a, a key moment in a game. That being said, Matt Carpenter and DJ LeMayhu, those are two hitters who fit the profile of a guy who does enough in a plate appearance that I would feel as confident in coming off the bench, getting their feet warm in an instant, and having to be put into that situation as any player in the game right now. So when you zoom in on this Yankees roster and specifically the offense, when you have those two players as factors, as pinch hitting roles, you see where they can potentially be inserted as a pinch hitter, whether it's the catching position, shortstop, center field. And then you think about the depth that the Yankees have behind those primary starters for those positions. All of a sudden, like the Yankees have solid depth here in this postseason. It's, it, it's come together over the last month or so, if these players are available as pinch hitting options. So um, I think that's a big positive We've going into this division Dobson series. Had some more, hit a little bit better mm-hmm. over the last few weeks of the season. He's come yeah. on. Yeah, Harrison Bader has been tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Not like good. He's been great. Mm-hmm. He's a great outfielder. He's got a great, I mean, he covers enormous amount of ground. Not that Judge wasn't a good center fielder, but you've got to be, I mean, I was always circumspect about Judge and center because of the idea that he can get hurt. I mean, there's so much real estate to cover, and he, he doesn't pull up on balls. He tries. He always gives it his maximum effort. I mean, sometimes pulling up on my ball is the smartest thing you could do because the chances are maybe you won't catch it and you, you save your body. But he plays so hard, he wants to get. He wants to catch everything there is, and I give him a lot of credit for that. But but having said that, I prefer to let him play right. He's great at right field. It's fine there. Bader is tremendous in center field. Runs the bases really well. Makes contact as a hitter. So he's, he's you know he's, he does you know he's he's good. He's he's wherever you put him in that lineup, he can help you. He's been a nice he's been a nice acquisition for the Yankees. I, I know uh, there's been a lot of things about Montgomery and Senator Montgomery's picked well for the most part, which he has, you know. But then then the, well, that's maybe this is a trade that works out for both teams. Those were always what the Branch Ricky used to say. I think it was it's a great deal if it works out for both teams. Or maybe he didn't say that. Maybe I'm saying it. I have no idea. But whoever said it was smart. Hemingway said it. Hemingway said it. That's yeah. correct. Give him the bell tolls. Bring that clock again, baby. Bring that <laughs> clock. What? Let's go on to the other division series in the American League, Mariners-Astros. We saw what the Mariners were able to do on the road in Toronto, hostile atmosphere at Rogers Center, and now they're facing the Astros, who look as strong as any team in baseball. They had five days of rest. Do you give the Mariners any chance against the Houston Astros? Yeah. I mean, I I give them them the Castillo chance. Mm -hmm. Castillo is great. I mean, I'm sorry. Castillo is, you know, to me, he's one of the three or four best pitchers in baseball. I mean, and and you know, and he's and he's confident as well, and he's playing for something. So you know, this he's out of Cincinnati. I mean, you, you unleashed a monster when you got that guy out of Cincinnati. And and you know, I was, um, 
you know, I'm, I, I've, I'm not, I don't, uh, you know, I, I realize that there's options and sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, I know the Yankees tried to get him. They, the, the asking price was just way so high. And I, I just didn't think they wanted to go there because the asking price was so high. But, but having said that, this guy is one of the great arms of the game, and 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 true as I've said, and then and in a big game, he's already proven he can win big games, small games. We said just throw throw him out there, so he gives you a puncher's chance no matter what. And plus, there's a lot of other talent. They have a lot of young talent on that team. You know, Rodriguez is a, a terrific young player, and they've got you know they got other talent on the team that's good. So you know, can 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 they do it? Yeah, I mean, I give them, I give them a shot, but you know what? But obviously, Houston is the favorite, and they are they're a great baseball team, Houston. I mean, they've got. They've, they've got starting – their bullpen has been better. They've got really solid starting pitching, really solid starting pitching, and they've got terrific position players, and they've got depth, and they got a great veteran manager in Dusty Baker. And you look at their record. Their record tells you how great they are. You know, the Yankees had a great year. Houston just had a better year. And, uh, you know, so, and, they're, and they're veteran, and they're, and they're battle-tested in the playoffs. I mean, what do they lack? They don't really lack anything. Right. I don't think they're over I – I think Dusty is too smart – you know, because uh, to to allow them to be overconfident, you know, that's not going to happen. And, you know, Dusty wants to win a championship, too. I don't think Dusty has a, a ring on his finger yet, you nope. know. So I think he really wants one, too. And I think their players are out to prove that, you know, whatever may have happened a couple of years ago with, uh, you know, the trash can banging and all the other stuff, that was, you know, I don't know, buzzers and all the other things that allegedly went on and could have gone on. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But who knows? But. I think they're out to prove that, you know, that they, they want to win one in a way where nobody can point a finger at them and say, you know, you, you guys didn't do this the right way. I think, I think that, that one of the things that spurs them on and really uh, gives them, uh, gives them direction, I think. So that, that that's one thing I feel like the two best teams in the game right now have in common. The, the Astros have been trying to validate the fact that they won in 2017 for a number of years. Now they're still trying to do that. The Dodgers this postseason off a 111 win regular season are trying to validate the fact that they won in 2020. They're trying to validate that this is a, a, a dynasty type team that you can be talking about. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then I look at all the, all the favorites in the division series. And it's wild to think about this because I feel like the Astros are the best team in the AL. I think they're second only to the Dodgers in all of baseball. But when you look at the division series matchups, John, I would say, what would be the least surprising upset in any of these matchups? And somehow it's the Mariners over the Astros. Somehow. I Seattle, Seattle, I think went set they went seven and twelve in the regular season against Houston. I throw all that out now. And a big reason probably why is because of uh, the guy you were talking about, Luis Castillo. They went seven and twelve, but I think I think a lot of their a lot of their, 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 their seven wins, I think five of them came, you know, in the second half of the season. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the losses, a lot they played the Astros a lot during the first two months or so when they yeah. weren't looking like a playoff contender. Right, and this is a team that found itself really in the middle of the year. Yeah, they started to find itself. They made a few, you know, acquisitions. I think they really helped them. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that's true. I mean, you know, I mean, I also think it's going to be tough to beat the Braves. I mean, I think the Phillies mm-hmm. got their hands full with the Braves. Um, you know, I love Thompson I and mean, Joe Girardi is someone I know really well, and I uh, rooted for Joe. And I also know Thompson forever. And Robbie's a really good guy, and he's done a really nice job with that team. So, you know, and, and they've got talent, but I mean, I don't know. It's the Braves. The Braves are really good. 
Yeah. When you talk about them nationally, because the Dodgers, the Dodgers, that, yeah, well, the Braves are the defending champions. And the Braves played this year the way they played last year. They kind of slept walked through the first, the first half of the season. I don't know what they were doing. And then they caught fire and like they, they, they don't lose in the second half. They just don't lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I said to people about the Mets, I said the Mets didn't really lose the division. The, the, the Braves just won it. I mean, they, they, they just, did what they needed to do. They had a historic second half almost the way they played, and they were great. And you had to them the same way the Braves had done it, did it last year, and then the Nationals had done it a couple of years ago. With some, it's about the hot hand. A lot of these playoffs is about who gets hot. And if you get hot, it's like the guy start to hit or a guy gets on a pitching roll and finds a groove and starts connecting and get on a roll. That's a lot of what happens in October. You, you will find the teams that win all the time that when they usually pitchers get on a roll, hitters get on a roll, confidence grows, whatever it is. But it's a, it's a lot of it is, is, is having the hot hand. But you play the hot hand in a lineup. You know, if, if, if you're going to tell me if D.A. If LeMay is on the roster, he plays the game and he has four hits, and the next thing, you know, and then they, they can say, well, uh, he doesn't hit this guy. So uh, guess what? He's playing because he's got the hot hand, right? It's, if Stan gets hot, you're out of your mind to sit him down. I mean, you because he can carry you for, for, for a year if he gets hot because that's how he plays, right? Because he, he is a streaky player at times. So if he gets hot, he carries you. You know, the, the, the judge who always judges judge. We, 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 we can't we, – we've documented him so much. There isn't any more to document. He's great, and that's it. And um, so the Yankees have a lot – there's a Taurus. That's why those guys have got to play. they got to hit. They've got to be able – Taurus has to hit. Taurus has to be a Kansas. That the, he does that. The, there's not a team – if the Yankees play this right – and, again, this is there's a lot of ifs in here. But if they pitch the way they're capable of, the starting pitching, and they get a little lucky in the bullpen, if they get a little lucky there – those guys, somebody protects Judge, or two guys protect Judge, or three guys protect Judge. In a lot of good luck beating the Yankees. I think we need to rename October. If there's a poem on my wall, it's it's a famous. It's by Rudyard Kipling. It's called If. Yeah, very famous. You know the poem. You've probably heard mm-hmm. it. And those of you who don't, in the words of Susan Waldman, well, you should go look it up. And that's what Susan used to say. She's if those of you who don't know that, you should go look it up. Go just go look it up. Well, I'm, I'm not going to be dismissive about it. I better just say that. And I like Susan, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's a point there. If you don't know what that poem is, I think you should go find that poem. You should go read it. And then you can, you can write us here. We have an address, right? People want to write us. We never talk about that, right? People want to contact us, you know, besides, you know, like sending me like, you know, threatening mail and things like that. If you want to send me something or, or talk to you, do you have a Twitter handle or something like people can contact you or us? Yeah. Or- my simple, my first and last name. That's it. You want to? You, you're asking for people Ernest to send us hard mail. Ernest Hemingway. I mean, <laughs> no, Justin Shackle at Justin Shackle. Do they have spell Shackle? S H A. Yeah. C K. Yeah. I L. Wait, I gotta write that down. Say it again. S H A C K I L. Okay. Perfect. I have a Twitter handle. Um. Spell it out. Let's go. What do you got? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I have no idea what it is. The show is it? Danny, 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 but so Danny, what's our Twitter handle? We must know. Our curtain call Twitter handle. Is that the one you're talking about? Well, yes. I thought you were talking about your own that uh, we were. Oh, you, you don't mind? I don't know. Mine. I forget it. How I, mean, I didn't know that the, the show had a Twitter handle. It does. It oh. does. How does um, that me... make you feel that your the host didn't know that we had a Twitter account? <laughs> How about this? How about the, the co-host doesn't know his own Twitter account? Yeah. How about that it's, one? It's at Curtain Call Yes. All one word. Perfect. At Curtain Call Yes. So if you want to write us, you could write you, you could send us a, a tweet there, right? And, and we'll see that. And uh, 
you know, and uh, we appreciate that. We do get, we do get, believe it or not, we actually get mail from people. I don't know how they get it to us, but I guess they do because they find us. So, oh, there it is. There, 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 there's the clock. <laughs> this is all perfect. I'm going to actually go follow Curtain Call after we get done recording this this podcast here. It's great. Uh, just for little Ben. See, like Big Ben, you know, Big Ben. That's yeah. little Ben. See those little, <laughs> that's my clock, little Ben. And I've been through this clock enough already. Yeah. Those of you, by the way, if you ever get a chance to get a ship's clock, it's great because there's no way you cannot know what time it is because of the bells. And don't ask me to explain it because I have no idea other than when it's top of the bottom of the hour. We've been through that. I'm not going through it again. And and we have a Twitter handle. These are all great things. Please write them down. And and that's important. All right, These keep- are the items we're taking away from this episode for sure. Um, one- what episode is this, by the way? It's 80. 80. We've done 80 of these. Well, you haven't. but I haven't done. I've done about three, four. You were in grade school when we started. Yeah. So I'm a toddler. Um, one one more item before we put episode number 80 to bed. And the Mets, a 101-win team in the regular season, they failed to make it out of the wild card round. And there was a lot of debate about what transpired in game three against the Padres on Sunday night at City Field. Joe Musgrove of the Padres was shoving. No other way to describe it. And Buck Showalter had the umpiring crew go out and check him for a foreign substance. Did you think it was a bad move by Showalter to have Musgrove checked out? No. No, I mean, there are some people who do. I mean, I don't because, first of all, I know Buck. I mean, so by knowing Buck, I know. I know. Listen, a lot of baseball, a lot of games is gamesmanship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, we're not, you're not hitting the guy. You got one hit. I mean, so... If we could take him out of his rhythm somehow, I mean, how do we get this guy out of his rhythm? You know, maybe maybe if he thinks that we think that uh, he, that he's got substance going on, I mean, what? And, and if he did, well, now now maybe they find it, and then that's a different situation. They get him out of the game that way. That's important. And if it's not, then it's in his head that you know that um, that, that everything he's watching is being so scrutinized and. I, I think it was gamesmanship on Buck's part. I do. I don't know. Maybe Buck actually believed that there was. Maybe there was. I mean, I obviously didn't find anything. If it was, it was very well hidden. So, I mean, I think it was just gamesmanship. And I think uh, part of the game, obviously, is gamesmanship. You see it happen all the time with stuff. And uh, this was a – I mean, Buck was trying everything he could to win and try to get get a pitcher that was unhittable, get him out of the game so they had a chance to you know, maybe you know come back and win that game, which it was close for a while until, until it wasn't. And then – Look, the, to give the Padres credit, the Padres are a very good baseball team. Their misfortune is they're in the same division with the Dodgers out there. You know, they're they're not as good as the Dodgers. I mean, for over the course of 162 games, they're not. But they're a good baseball team, and they've got a lot of talent. And this is a new season, and they beat it. They beat a very good Met team. Now, like I said, the Mets didn't really lose the America, the the National League East as much as the Braves won it. Give the Mets credit from where they came to where they finished. Maybe it wasn't where they wanted to be, but they still had a very good year. And you have to tip your hat to the Met organization and to and to and Buck in particular, and and, and to, to Billy Epler, some of the deals that they made and and players who made comebacks for them and deals that they made and you know listen they had they they got up to a great start they didn't have a great second half but they didn't have a terrible second half they just sort of came back to earth a little bit and the Braves slaughtered up miserably and then became the Braves who are the National League the American I'm sorry the, the Major leagues, the world champion. I mean, they are defending world champions, and you have to respect that. And that was that. But uh, that's the game. And and I mean, but it's really. I mean, the, the way the wild card is set up, though, you, if you're at a distinct disadvantage, if you have to go play three games in the other guy's park, 
that's a distinct disadvantage. I mean, the idea that you can you know, win two or three, I mean, you can. I mean, obviously it happened, but it's not easy to do. And but that's the whole point of it. They seeded this in a way where the first wild card has the big advantage over the next seeds. And in this case, it didn't really seem to matter because, you know, the, the Padres did what they needed to do. There's a lot of talent on that team. There is, especially offensively. And, and look at the starting pitching. I mean, you got Snell, you got Musgrove. I mean, they, they've got they've got pitching on that team. You know, they really do. I mean, I, you know, I, they, they're going to be, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. I I wouldn't dismiss them at all. I mean, I don't know that they're the Mariners of the of the National League, but I, I don't think that. so. I, no, I don't think so. No, but <laughs> I anything think, could uh, happen. You got Soto, for God's October, sake. October, baby. I mean, you also got Soto and you got yeah. Machado. And, I mean, you get to be, I mean, that's, that's, that's some firepower there, you know. I think the biggest takeaway from the wild card series, and yeah. I think it's going to be prolonged throughout this entire postseason. Starting pitching the, has returned to being a preeminent position. You did not see a lackluster starting pitching performance in any game over the weekend in the wild card round, and that team who had that subpar pitching performance go on to win the game. You didn't see it. Starting pitching. What did we say? But what? Uh, let's go backwards. What did we say in the beginning of this thing? Pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, and starting pitching and defense. Starting pitching and, and we throw in defense. And yes, bullpen's important. Yes, timely hits. Yes, those things are all important. Nothing is as important as strong, dominant starting pitching. You're right, but that hadn't been the case in recent years. It's the case now. Sure is. And that's why they're for it. That's why the Yankees have a chance, a big chance, mm-hmm. because they can have. Very strong, very dominant starting pitching. You know, the bullpen has to cooperate because you're not going to get nine innings out of these guys, but you can get seven, mm-hmm. you know, and and then 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 that's where the the Yankee bullpen has to be able to, to uphold its end of it and the Yankees will have to get score some runs. And I mean you have to do those things anyway. But you really have your best chance to win. Look at the teams that have won in the past. Go back, go back the last couple of years. Every time, every single time, you got at least two guys at the top. Or an ace and a, and a one a a one and a one a one and a one a a one and a one a. That's how you win. You know, you, we can go back to when the Yankees lost to 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 uh, uh, to the Diamondbacks of Johnson and Chilling, and you know, you go back and you say, well, I mean, but but look at the string when the Nationals won a couple of years ago. It was really it was uh, Shearza and it was it was Strasburg right at the top of the at the top of the. It's always about that dominance at the top. Even when the when Verlander, Cole, whatever. I mean, it's about having guys at the top of that rotation. Who can just be so just they're just hard to beat, you know. And that's why you go with Castillo and the fact that they've got people behind him who can pitch, like the Yankees, who have at least three arms there. That, you know, any given day, those three guys can every one of those three guys can dominate you on any given day. That's what makes the Yankees so dangerous. It's really those three arms that it's Judge, but you got to protect Judge and you have to protect your starters by having a bullpen. Yep. They have to do their parts too. So we'll see. Got to go out and execute, uh, John. Anything else as we land the plane here for this episode? We the see the great. runway. We're about to descend. The great Ashley Fugazi, who's been my assistant for 22 years, 21, 22 years, I always used to say, time to land a plane, time to land a plane, meaning it's time to say goodbye. It's not enough. But anyway, but we appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate your your comments. Uh, you know, I don't know how you get us comments, but thank you for getting us anyway. Now we figured something out here. So we appreciate that. And, uh, oh, I wanted I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, extend a plug to, uh, Saturday night, from Saturday night to Sunday night, it is uh, Dick Ebersole's book. Dick Ebersole is one of the great figures in uh, in our in our broadcast business. Uh, he's one a legendary figure. He's one of the 
people co-founders of, of Saturday Night Live and co-creators of it, along with Lauren Michaels, uh, and was uh, ran NBC Sports for a number of years, like almost twenty years, I think, and, and did it in a very dominant way. And NBC had all a lot of big, a lot of big events, and it was uh, and for many years was the preeminent uh, sports uh, network, and and a lot of that traced to Dick Ebersol, and uh, a lot of contributions, lots of things in the business, uh, and uh, one of the most respected voices and then and, and, and people in it so if you get a chance it's a very good book i've just been reading it and you get a chance to read it i think it's a, it's a, it's worth your time and worth your energy and you want to find out about the broadcast business and somebody who was really who had a really interesting take on it, had a tremendous career i think it's worth uh giving it a listen to if you listen to, to you know these things um that way your book's on tape or you you know want to buy it and read it i think it's, it's worth your time so i'm going to plug dick's book because i think it's worth uh Anybody who's listening to this and is interested in broadcasting or the media or how sports on television, I think it's a very good, uh, very good way to uh, consume some very good information. I'm going to reiterate, we should have Dick Ebersola as a guest this offseason. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to, you know, I should have asked him. I saw him not too long ago and I didn't, I actually asked him to do center stage. So I should ask him to do a podcast as well. Well, but we'll double team him, but he'd be a great guest. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of history there, a lot of knowledge of the business, and you know, Rand was when NBA on NBC was the big thing. It was the Jordan and all that. I mean, it was under his, you know, his realm. And one time, NBC had all the all the major events. They had, they had the World Series. They had, you know, they, they had the NFL. They had the NBA. They had the Olympics. I mean, uh, you know, I think they even dabbled in hockey and hockey for a while as well. So, you know, it's, it's tough to accumulate all those sporting events and to do them all well. And under his reign and regime, they did. So, you know, my my tip you had to Dick. All right, the plane's landed. Uh, stand your seats, everybody. Don't get up. Don't unbuckle. Uh, enjoy the division series games. We will uh, we'll chat with you before the championship series starts. I think that's important. So uh, we'll be back right before the uh, championship series. We uh, thank Dan Bassone, of course, our great producer, for doing all the hard work here. Please rate, review, subscribe. Best way you can show support for the show. And hey, there's a Twitter handle as well. So uh, tweet at us at Curtain Call. Yes. For John J. Filippelli, I'm Justin Shackle. Thanks for tuning in here to Curtain Call, a production of the Yes Network. Enjoy the games, everybody. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Thank you for your love.